Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Ternaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. I'd like to highlight today a small number of major themes that will impact our financial markets over the coming weeks. First of all, inflation is higher and longer lasting than our political leaders want us to believe. Secondly, China's economy is melting down, but that's not good news for their future political behavior on the world stage. Number three, the leaders of the massive up move in the stock market over the past 10 or so years, as we've discussed in prior podcasts, have been the FANG stocks. Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, and also adding Microsoft. These stocks have accounted for approximately 25% of the Standard & Poor's Index. Much of the up move of the market has been in these stocks. They are in a dangerous place right now as their growth in revenues has actually stopped year to year. Let's talk about inflation. Inflation discussions in prior podcasts included, this is over a period of the past year or more, the fact that official measurements present a lowball cost of living index. We've gone into this in some detail, so I'll be brief here. The Bureau of Labor Statistics has hedonics, and if you Google Bureau of Labor Statistics hedonics, H-E-D-O-N-I-C-S, you can learn about how the Bureau of Labor Statistics drops the actual prices that are in the marketplace for items. For example, a refrigerator. If a refrigerator has any enhancement at all, the enhancement is evaluated by staff members of the Bureau and they adjust the market price. This goes for TVs, it goes for cars. There is a lot of flexibility to take price increases in their raw form in the marketplace, massage them, apply value judgments, and arrive at a new adjusted price which has the effect of mitigating or keeping price increases in the marketplace lower. If you haven't noticed, the prices of new cars has gone up dramatically, but because the new cars may have enhancements of audio systems, enhancements of steering, enhancements of braking systems and so forth, even including enhancements of trim, the Bureau of Labor Statistics has a propensity of looking at those changes, making an estimate of how much value has been added by those changes, and using a lower comparative price for the car. So if to you the car has gone up an average of five to six or seven percent a year over the past 10 years, maybe to the Bureau of Labor Statistics on their group of cars, it's gone up maybe less than one percent or so. So the hedonics, that's really the point. Secondly, the substitution effect in the marketplace. As, for example, steak prices go up at the supermarket, the Bureau begins to substitute lower cuts of meat, for example, hamburger. And they not only substitute it, but they track the index of the lower-priced product. So if steak prices have gone up double in the past year or two, in some cases that's exactly what has happened, depending on where you buy your meat, assuming you're not a vegan, But in the case of hamburger, hamburger prices have been much more contained. They're up significantly less, still up. But when hamburger is then substituted for steak in the index, the hamburger price, the whole index is substituted. 
So this has the effect of lowering price indices of specific items that have been more in demand and substituting lower value or lower quality items. The core inflation, which is often quoted, is kind of tricky also. It subtracts our food and energy costs. And I don't know of very many families who find solace if they know core inflation has only gone up a staggering 5 or 6%, but overall inflation is reported as up 9% because it's really the overall that is itself understated, as I just mentioned. It's really the overall that we have to pay for. We can't decide that we're not going to pay for food or pay for energy in many cases. Home prices don't really appear for quite some time because about 30 years ago, home prices were directly taken out of the index and a calculated quasi-rent was put in. And that quasi-rent defers the impact of higher home prices for quite some time. And in any event, the higher home prices themselves are only converted to a quasi-rent twice a year. So that's something to look out for. But right now, 8 to 9% cost of living increase is reported in the overall total indices, which, as I mentioned in the last podcast, is similar to the European countries, many other countries, and China included. The reality is that if an official 8 to 9% is reported, in my view, the actual inflation rate of a constant market basket of goods and services is more double that. So if you feel that inflation is running at 15 to 20%, as if 8 to 9% is not bad enough, you're probably right. Another impact of lowered inflation reporting actually pumps up the gross national product numbers because what is really done is that the value of the goods and services at market value are really calculated for the gross national product and they take out the official inflation to try to make an estimate of the real growth. Well, if the inflation rate itself is lower than reality, when they take that inflation out of the gross national product number, they arrive at a higher than reality real growth in the economy. So now that it's been reported, and I would like to say that we were correct in this podcast months ago, it's now reported we've had two months of real negative growth in the economy. Consider that that negative growth or that drop in the real growth in the United States is much larger. If the authorities calculating real growth used higher inflation rates, which in my view is closer to reality, the real gross national product of the United States would have dropped very much more substantially in the past two quarters and actually in the past several years. How is the economy doing now? Well, in the past week, there are indications again that we're really doing worse than anticipated and worse than generally is believed. On Tuesday, July 26th, on the high price side, the National Home Price Index, Case-Shiller, was reported up almost 20%, actually 19.7% in May, year over year. The Consumer Confidence Index was reported lower, 95.7 versus 98.4. New home sales are dropping, 590,000 at an annual rate versus 642,000. The next day, July 27th, the trade balance was reported. Again, the trade deficit 
estimated at $100 billion for the month, which again is over a trillion dollars a year of trade deficit. The same day, pending home sales reported down 9%, and it was forecast to be roughly even. The Fed Fund's target rate now, as you know from the Federal Reserve meeting, is uh, 2.5% instead of 1.75%. And in Jerome Powell's press conference on last Wednesday, it's indicated that we can expect more of the same coming up in September. In his view, he has returned the federal funds rate to a neutral rate, but that really is not the case either. In the prior podcast, we introduced you to the Taylor formula, which really shows to be countering inflation, the federal funds rate needs to be 15%. Anything significantly below that number is not really effectively countering inflation, and that basically covers the entire history of our country. So there's a lot of data on this subject. Last Thursday, as I mentioned, the gross domestic product was released. It should be the recognition that we are in an official recession. But as I'll mention in a minute, the politicians, as usual, don't quite see it that way. Real disposable income was announced Friday, down 0.3%. And again, that's using, in my view, faulty inflation numbers. So real disposable income, the real income people earn is really dropping and it's dropping faster than that, in my view. The employment cost index for the second quarter was up 1.3%, which is showing the pressures of increasing compensation and so forth. So we are being told that the Federal Reserve is an effective tool for fighting inflation, and I really truly beg to differ. It is not an effective tool during the period of supply chain caused, actually war caused now, inflation. None of the structural issues that we've identified over the past year and two years have been resolved. Overall, capital expenditures for producers have gone nowhere. They're not going up. And now with the increase in interest rates, the monetary tightening is going to only reduce the appetite for companies to make new significant capital expenses, to say nothing of the declines that we are seeing in the consumer spending in real terms. Any company that is making a new investment has to see that they're making it on a profitable basis. And new investments, as we pointed out before, are the key for new jobs creation. Let's move to our second item, the themes that we really need to be cognizant of, China. China's consumer confidence has now reached the lowest level, I think, in the history of their statistics. Their consumer confidence going into COVID was on an index of 125, and it's now measured at approximately 85. Beijing is seeking to mobilize up to $148 billion of loans for millions of stalled property developments. It's reported that many people in China have committed to making advanced payments on new apartments and new office buildings, and there's a rapidly growing tendency to renege or to not make these payments, which will cause pretty serious issues in the China economy. I suspect that that's one of the reasons that China is mobilizing $148 billion in new loans. And it's really an ambitious attempt to revive the real estate sector and head off this backlash I mentioned by home buyers. In a bid to end a property downturn that played a big role in bringing year-on-year growth down to just about zero in the second quarter in China, 
The People's Bank of China will initially issue low-interest loans charging about 1.75% a year to state commercial banks. And the state commercial banks are then counted upon to use the multiplier of debt and issue up to $1 trillion of new loans. Now consider that the China economy is so far smaller than our economy and consider the average income in China is arguably 20 to 30% of what it is in the United States. But to actually plan to introduce a new trillion dollars into the China economy by the China Central Bank Sounds a little bit familiar, like 2008, 2009 in the United States, right? With the mortgage-backed security problem. So there are a lot of issues in China, and China is already very leveraged at the local level. There already is a lot of debt in the cities and the political divisions in China. So this is an indicator of how serious, in my view, the situation is. This is not going to bode well, I think, for China-U.S. relationships as we go forward. The China leadership must be getting very threatened, but this is not a economic relations podcast, so I'll stick with the economic facts, but it's very disturbing. And the issues that China may face of their leadership to stay in power may be in some ways not so different than Putin doing what he needs to do to stay in power. Neither one of these are attractive for economic and political negotiations involving the United States. So I am concerned, and I'm concerned about many things, but including the supply chains. Are, are we really rebuilding our supply chains fast enough? I don't know. In the United States, we'll move on to the next item in terms of the financial markets. The FANG stocks, as I mentioned earlier, been key in the multi-year stock market rally. And now a lot of big names, including the FANG stocks, well, Tesla, Microsoft, Netflix, Coinbase, Lyft, Twitter, Meta, or Facebook, they've recently signaled that they're gearing up for layoffs. Many technology companies that expanded during the pandemic are now pulling back, laying off workers and retracting job offers. On Tuesday, as I think many of you know, Coinbase said it was cutting its workforce by almost 20%. He indicated that Coinbase grew too quickly. It had a market value of $13 billion and it's changing pretty much daily or weekly downward. The slump is affecting a wide range of companies. And that's something you sort of keep your eye on about future announcements of layoffs. CBS News had a technology segment reporter, Dan Patterson, essentially covering in a major way recently about how vulnerable the tech companies are to growth or lack of growth and lack of profit growth particularly. In that newscast, it was covered that tech companies worldwide have so far laid off a total of 35,000 workers, and that's just really getting started. I can't tell you how important that this seems to me to be, that the FANG companies, the revenue real growth during 2003, 2005, 2007, 2008 was 20 to 30 percent a year. If we go into the 2010 to 2017 period, these companies as a group grew 20 to 25 percent a year in revenue. That's huge growth. As of the last quarter, 2022, last reported quarter, the growth is negative. This is the first time for this group of stocks, of companies, that they've had negative growth in revenues. I would think about that a little bit. Politicians are now spinning that two quarters of negative growth don't really meet the definition of a recession. So the National Bureau of Economic Research is being pressured as everybody else is being pressured to not call this a recession. And this is old news. Pretty much every political administration has done this in the past. 
it's happening again. So I'm not looking at pronouncements by the politicians. I'm really looking at the data, and that's what I think we should be talking about, the data. Some additional alarming data regarding the U.S. economy is that personal consumption expenditure price index spiked 6.8% in June. It was the largest increase since January of 1982. We are gaining momentum in some pretty negative ways. Now, the stock market will have very strong counter-trend rallies. As I've posted for some months now, I have argued the stock market is in a bear market, that interest rates are going to continue up, and that the Taylor rule is a good base for that. But an investment portfolio now, if I were looking at where to allocate money, it would be lightening up on the FANG or the tech stocks and looking at some of the avoided sectors. And one of them is the oil and gas exploratory and production companies. They are at pretty much 25-year lows when comparing their price indices to the tech stocks. So Buying something at a low price to me is much better than buying hope by keeping money in the tech stock sector. Last comment I have is uh, to be prepared, which is a theme that isn't developed yet, is capital controls. And this is also troublesome. Europe has imposed capital controls pretty quietly, and Europeans are not allowed to send more than 6,000 euros a month, which is about $6,000 now, to another account outside the European Union. This is happening during the time capital is pouring out of Europe, and now the war drums are being beaten in Europe. Germany is in a major recession. The gas pipeline shipments from Russia to Western Europe have all but been totally cut, and this is going to have a pretty negative impact on the global economy, including the United States. But the good news for me is the United States is the strongest of a lot of the countries in terms of this environment but we're not going to be insulated from the impacts of it. So be careful, be cautious, be alert to your risks. I would recommend not looking forward to high growth. Look forward to capital preservation, keeping what you have. Thank you. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornaden. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.